episode 110 of the Dodging Tilt DFS podcast. It has been a minute since I sat down to do one of these. I was planning to sit down and do one of these and kind of catch you guys up on what I've been up to for like the last four months because I've been sort of, you know, not very active on, on Twitter or podcasting and whatnot. Um, but thankfully, we have a very good reason to podcast today. <clears throat> Friend of the pod, uh, Ryan Zamichelli, the great Zambino, took down a $100,000 GPP uh, in NBA DFS. And it was on a three-game slate. And usually, I, I trash people who play three-game slates. I call them degenerates. I don't even play them. But, you know, when everything goes right, man, it can go very, very right. So congratulations, um man let's just walk through what that day was like for you because obviously that's you know that's the the life-changing money that all of us kind of hope to to win at one point or another in dfs so you know how did you start building your lineups that day yeah so like my process like that entire week was a bit different than it normally has like being somebody who plays like practically every single dfs sport out there like I'm, i'm pretty sure that at one point or another I've entered a contest for every single sport that DraftKings or FanDuel have ever offered from spring training MLB to, like, E-League. Um, and, like, obviously I'm not, like, an advantage player in all of them, but, I, like, at this point, the ones that I still do play, like, I'd say that I'm probably, like, an above-average player and a profitable player in most, if not all of them. So, like, when the contest or contests get posted like on DraftKings, like during one day, like there could be like six slates for four different sports, and like I could enter like every one of them because like I ha- like know how to research them and have like the tools to research them. But like that week, I like really like mapped it out like what I wanted to do, which is something that like I'd never done before. Like I organized like, all right, these are the slates that'll probably be posted every day, and these are the ones I want to play. So like I had really focused on like what I wanted to do and like I had like highlighted the slates I was going to play and like crossed out the slates that I was going to ignore so like I knew each day like all right I'm going to be playing NBA tonight I'm going to be playing NHL tonight that's what I'm going to look at that's what I'm like keep tabs on and not like dilute it with soccer news that comes in throughout the day um and like I set like a small goal for myself like I wanted to hit x dollars of profit on the week and like in hindsight that was probably not a great thing to do because like in theory say like for sake of numbers like say i was like all right i want to hit 500 dollars profit this week and it comes sunday and i'm at like 300 dollars profit and typically i would register for a hundred dollars of nascar contests maybe like because i set that goal i might have like suboptimally entered 200 dollars of contests and then if i lose that's an extra hundred dollars that i'm out so like that could have led to some late week chasing and like it's not really something that in hindsight, I'm going to condone, but like, it's just what I did throughout the week. Um, needless to say, I, I hit that mark. Um, yeah, but by, by so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I overshot it a bit and made up for the next week and the week after that a little. Um, but, but that specific day, um, so like, I, I had said that I, I had identified that slate as like one that I wanted to play. It was like a 7.30 Eastern lock time. And, like, that day, I hadn't really done the research throughout the day. I was like, all right, I'll sit down at, like, 6 o'clock and really grind everything out. And then I realized I have an online exam for one of my classes due uh, that night. So at, like, 5 o'clock, I'm like, all right, I'll log in. I'll just bang this thing out. Like, I'm a quick test taker. Uh, It'll be, like, in and out, simple like that, and then I'll be able to research. And I log in, and it's, like, a two-hour exam with an hour-long video uh, attached in it. 
So I get that. I watch the hour-long video, and then I'm like, well, I don't feel like just sitting here in silence. So I put on the the DFS Edge podcast that uh, Adam Levitan does, and it was the interview with Jeff Collins. And Jeff Collins, like I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you're familiar with DFS, and he's on the heater to end all heaters right now. He's just taking down everything that you could imagine. He's one of, if not the sharpest, GPP like game theory minds in DFS. And I've studied his like DFS play a little bit, like going going through CSVs and things like that. And then hearing him like connect the dots for me essentially on that podcast after having already done that work. Like I was really like just thinking in like the GPP mindset. And so I end up finishing the exam at like six forty five and I'm like, oh man, like this is too late. Like I don't I don't think I'll be able to get everything sorted out and get my research in. And then like I kind of just did nothing for fifteen minutes. I genuinely don't remember what I did. And then like at seven o'clock I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll 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 fire in a couple GPP bullets. And so like I loaded up all my projections. I like got everything sorted out and went and looked at um like the ownership projections that I look at for every slate and was kind of just identifying like it's Paul Millsap chalk night. I don't want any part of Paul Millsap chalk in a GPP. And then, like, it's Russell Westbrook chalk night. Why not just shift to Paul George? So, like, it was just little minute things where I had identified, like, in the projections that I use and in, like, the range of outcomes. And then looking at the the projected ownership, it was just, like, I simplified my process a lot that night. I'm not saying that I'm going to simplify my process for every slate going forward, but, like, that night specifically, it was a simpler process where, I was really in the GPP mindset having listened to the Jeff Collins podcast interview and just really kind of weighed ownership on a short slate. There aren't a ton of options. You're not going to have to go find that 5% owned player because quite frankly, there's not going to be a 5% owned player who's viable and weighed that with like their upside essentially is what I, what I was looking at. So that day specifically, it was it was a lot of evaluating upside against ownership and that's kind of what GPPs are all about at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And obviously all the, the questions we're going through today are from you guys on Twitter. And um, one thing I do with, with DP as well is try to help people kind of figure out, you know, what are what are high upside players and what are low floor players. And, you know, like it's to know it off the top of your head is just kind of something you need to get used to over time playing any DFS sport. Like for me, I know it for NBA because this is literally the sport I play the most on. Um but, you know, NHL, I'm sure you dabble in NHL and just like with time you kind of figure out, okay, this is a high upside guy who might have a really low floor and stuff. And that's just something you develop with any DFS sport over time um, is a learning guy's floors and ceilings and when you might want to fade a guy who's chalky and and um, just things of that nature. Like, uh, obviously, it's all part of game theory or whatever, but just knowing off the top of your head... Um, for each player individually is just something that comes with time. So brings us to our next question for you, which is, which is more important, low owned players or highly correlated players. So like with this one, it's like, obviously for GPPs, there are like two frames of mind where it's, you've got to be extremely contrarian and you've got to make sure that you have that 2% guy that goes off for like six and a half X on like on a big slate. Or there's, like, the frame of mind where it's, like, just game stack. Just get as many correlated plays as possible. And then in, I believe, Jeff Collins said it's, like, the 6% chance that a game goes to overtime. You get 
four and a half quarters where every other team got four quarters, or you get nine quarters where every other game stat got eight quarters. Um, so like, those are essentially the two frames of mind, which is where the like question stems from. And it's tough to like really zero in on one because different nights and different situations differ. Like, it's tough. if you evaluate this in a vacuum, I think you might get like a f- true fifty-fifty split. But when you look at like a short slate, and it's tough to like like I said, it's tough to find a viable like five percent player on a like a three-game slate because at the end of the day, you've got a very limited player pool. People are going to be attracted to the handful of good plays that they're on, on the slate. And then if a player is like close to viable, he's going to approach at least 15, 20%. Like in the lineup that I had that one, I think my lowest owned player was Jeremy Granite, like 11 or 12%. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like I had some like extremely low owned players. So on a short slate, I may go with highly correlated players because they're like I correlated my Westbrook fade. I. It was an intentional fade of Westbrook in that lineup. I ran two lineups, one where I intentionally faded him and went with Paul George, Dennis Schroeder, Jeremy Grant, and then included a game stack in there where I had uh, Jokic and uh, Will the Thrill Barton um, to kind of like flip it and have it on the other side. So I had highly correlated plays on a short slate because there were only two other games that could have gone off. On a big slate, however, game stacking there on seven games, on a seven-game slate, you might have six games that you could game stack, or seven games that you can game stack. Six of the games might be relatively contrarian, and one of them is going to be the chalk. So there, your correlated plays will come in smaller amounts, and that would be where you can find your your low-owned player that can go off. So for me, obviously, I'm not saying that I have the secret key to success. I I hit big on that lineup, but I'm not saying that I'm the guy who, like, be-all, end-all has all of the knowledge. But for me, on a short slate, I'm going to look for the correlated plays. And on a large slate, I'm going to look for the low-owned plays just because it's going to be more straightforward that way and there's no need to overcomplicate that. For sure, especially on smaller slates like that. On on bigger slates, like you mentioned, it's about, you know, contrarian game stacks and whatnot. At least that's, that's personally what I do. I don't play as many tournaments as you, but... Um... Man, like if a game goes to like double or triple overtime and you have one guy in that game that's popping off and he's under 10%, like that's that's kind of what you need to happen to win that, you know, that kind of money. Um so, yeah, personally, that's that's one of my favorite um strategies to do in in NBA DFS. All right, so what sites did you use um for it and which ones do you subscribe to? So, like, with this, the way I've kind of approached, like, content and whatnot, because there are so many smart people in this industry, I'm going to say most of the touts are touts for a reason. There are some guys who just hit big <laughs> one time and they got a they got a gig on some site, but oh, there are a good portion of these guys who are really sharp minds, and even if they're not profitable, they have good insights and they have good numbers that they work by, um, most of them, at least, and... So with this, like, is something where so if you go to Manny Laura's lineupstudy.com, he evaluates different projection sources, and um, he ranks them each night. Uh, there are squared between their projected number and their actual number. For NBA, it's like all players over 10 points he includes in his R-squared evaluation. And he does that for, like, 9, 10, 11, something like that, different projection sources. But then he also has one additional projection source, which is the average of all of them. 
So like, uh, it takes the average projection for every single player on the slate and basically takes a new uh, projection system. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in every single sport in the long run, the average projection ranks first in our in R squared. So it's the most accurate projection every single sport over the long run, like full season. You can go to a site, he does like three or four different sports that he uh, calculates this for, and average ones every time. So I, that's kind of like, it shows that the more uh, inputs you get, the better you're going to um, be able to evaluate. This is in a book I'm reading right now, uh, Super Forecasting, that was recommended to me by a couple different people. It mentions what's called wisdom of the crowd. It's like if the example is at a town fair, they asked, what's the weight of this ox? And the actual weight of the ox was like 1,100 pounds or something of that nature. It might have been 1,100 tons. It was 1,100 something. If you took the average of every single guest from every single person at the fair that day, the answer was off by one pound. When you get the more insight or the more input you get, the sharper you're going to be. When you get more points of view, you're going to find something new and you're going to essentially be more accurate. So for that reason, I like to look to a lot of different sources for projections. Obviously, um, like the price of memberships and things of that nature restricts that a lot. But I probably have like five or six different projection sources, whether it be like looking at Fantasy Labs or looking at Roto Grinders or Awesomeo or Daily Roto or Saberson. Um, there are countless different quality projection sources, and you can go to Manny Laura's site right now and see um, which ones are more accurate than others. Um, so for that reason, I, I subscribe to a lot of content. I take in a lot of content when I play, and I have a lot of different sources. Ultimately, the one that trumps all of it when I'm making my final decisions is my own projections and my own calculations. Um, that's what I trust most. But like I said, it's good to have a lot of different points of view. And one thing that like in GPPs especially, I think people undervalue are things like range of outcomes projections. Like Sabersim and Daily Roto specifically do these really well. Um, they'll say like, so when you look at a projection somewhere, that person got that projection by running 10,000 simulations and they took the 50th percentile outcome and that's what the number you see. But what's like the 75th percentile? What's his upside look like? What's his 90th percentile? What, what if he really goes off? What's that look like? You can find a pretty good idea of what his true upside is, what his reachable upside is, and then what if he goes nuclear, what's, his, that, what's that upside? So I think that is something that should hold more weight with people um, when they're looking into like being a GPP player specifically. Um, don't just look at like the median or the mean projected outcomes that you'll get on like a lineup optimizer everywhere. So that's like my one recommendation for when you're looking for what content you want to subscribe to. Make sure it adheres to like the style of play that you want to uh, go with. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. Um, whether you're cash or GPP, it always helps to have more opinions though. It's, you can't argue against that at the end of the day. It's always good to, to hear or see what everyone else is, is thinking and, you know, obviously formulate your own opinion at the end of the day, but still, you know, you weight them differently and, you know, hopefully come out a profitable player. All right. So before we talk about what you're going to do with all this money, we talked a little bit about it before the show, but again, just walk us through the $100,000 sweat, or for you, in your case, it was more lack of because these games were all, you know, it was three games, but they were all kind of spread out, you know, one at a time and you, you were busy with other stuff. So, you know, what was that like? 
Yeah, so like like I said, I, w- I was on campus. I go to Temple University. I was on campus doing some work, and like 7 o'clock to 7.30 is when I really like grinded put building my lineup, and then lineups locked at 7.30. And after that, I went back and finished up some other work for a class or something like that. <clears throat> so at like 8 o'clock-ish, I'm, I'm on my way home, and I just like pull up the DK Live app, and I'm like, oh, okay, uh, Mitchell Robinson is just absolutely going off that's that's pretty sweet but he was the the chalky play that I I ate when I put in this lineup because quite simply he was just like a great value on that slate and especially in NBA you got to know what's good chalk and what's bad chalk and I was like okay I'll just eat the chalk but when I saw he went off it wasn't really something where I was like oh man I, that that's awesome like I've got a shot here it was somewhere I was just like oh well everybody else probably has him too and then uh, I get home and I'm doing some more work once I get home and uh, I see all of Twitter going off because Damian Dotson was also supposed to be the chalk that night, and he played like 10 minutes or something absurd. Fizdale screwed everybody, except I had Alonzo Trier. And I looked back at the end of the game, or like halfway, three-quarters of the way through the game, and for like 3.9K, he gave me like 25 points at that point. And I was like, oh, shoot, like my only two players are going off. That, that's night that this lineup isn't dead by 9 o'clock for once. Um and so, like, I'm home doing some work, and my roommates are watching the uh, the Raptors-Celtics game, which was the the sandwich game, the nationally televised one. Um, and that one's turning turning into an absolute blowout. And Pascal Siakam is going nuclear at this, this point. He put up, like, 55 points at, like, 7.5K or something. And I'm watching that, and I'm like, well, I mean, he's the only player from this game that went off. I wonder if, like... I wonder if I really needed him on a three-game slate since there weren't so many options. Like, I wonder if I'm dead because I didn't have Pascal Siakam against the Celtics. Like, <laughs> everything else went okay with this game except for that. Well, whatever. And so, like, I at the end of the Knicks game, I look back and I'm like, okay, I'm still alive. I've got two strong plays. After the Celtics game, I'm like, okay, there's only, like, one guy that I really missed out on. So I, I guess I'm alive. Um, and then I have, like one urgent assignment that I have to get done. So I'm, like, fully focused on that when the the Thunder Nuggets game tips off. But I'm still, like, sitting in my living room, and every time I look up, it's, like, Nikola Jokic with a three-pointer, Jeremy Grant with a blocker. Just every time I look up, it's my players and Russell Westbrook there doing anything. So I'm, like, seems like I should have a pretty good chance. And, like, I pull up DK after um, the first quarter, and I'm in, like, the top – 500 or 700 or something like that i'm like oh okay like i i definitely can take home a a nice chunk of change with this and so like i keep on doing my work and whatnot and and then halftime rolls around and that's when i finish my work and i pull up dk again and i'm in like the top 100 and this is out of like 40,000. and i'm like oh okay like this this could be real this is this is pretty awesome okay now let me try to find a way to distract myself for the second half considering distracting myself for the first half went so well and I can't find anything to do in the second half. But, uh, at one point in the third quarter, like, our cable box just, like, went out and updated. And, like, it's just me and my one roommate watching the game. And I'm not, like, I'm not telling him that I potentially have, like, an active sweat going on if he would even understand what I meant. I think he might just think I had, the, like, the meat sweats or something if I told him that. And I'm, like, just sitting there just casually getting back up and, like, turning on the cable box and changing the channel back. And then, like, starting the fourth quarter, I'm, like, top ten. And at this point, I'm like, I could be taking home $1,000 or $100,000. This is this is pretty sweet. And my roommate's like totally, like distracted with like getting his suit ready for the next day or something like that. And 
I'm like keeping close tabs on the leaderboards and everything. And then with like 10 minutes left in the game, I, I shut my computer. I'm like, I'm just going to watch the game. All right, I'm, I'm just going to watch. And I'm watching. I'm like, everything is coming up Zam right now. Like, this is absurd. And I pull open, I look, flip up uh, DK, um, flip up, open my laptop and pull up DK. And I'm in like second. It's me and this one guy. And I'm like, all right, so I just have to fade Russ and Millsap for the last two minutes of the game. And I was probably like six inches away from like our 50 screen, 50 inch TV, like watching the final two minutes of this game, which isn't something uh, that's abnormal for me to do, considering I sit absurdly close to the TV um, whenever I watch a game, just because I like only want to pay attention to that and not get distracted by like what else is going on in my house. And so my roommate doesn't think anything of it. And I'm like extremely calm throughout this entire thing and like just in shock that I have a chance. And it goes final, and I'm up by like five points. I'm like, stat, cor- stat corrections can't really take this much from me. Hey, Noah, that, that's like the name of my roommate. I'm like, hey, Noah, I, I think I just won $100,000. And he's like, no, you didn't. And he just like ignores me and goes back to ironing in his suit or whatever. I'm like, no, like I'm serious. Come with my phone. He's like, oh, my God. Like, what did you bet on? Like, he doesn't understand that it's DFS and that, like, I bet on eight different players to outscore their – salary implied projection and i'm like it, it's it's fantasy basketball yeah and then just kind of sit there like in silence for the next hour and a half while i'm like shooting a text to my, my mom who's asleep and like my mom doesn't understand what just happened either so i'm just like oh my god like i can't believe this just happened and, like it was no like huge celebration or anything like that it was just like i was so locked in on watching that game and i was like if something goes wrong at this point i really like it's just not meant to be I mean, it was, like, at the end of the night, it was just, like, the most shocked I've ever been about anything, ever. And, like, to this point, like, it really hasn't set, like, it it hasn't settled in with me that, like, that's, like, gonna be life-changing money, but, like, as we'll get into in a second, like, I'm not spending it right now, so it's not, like, changing my life today, tomorrow, or the next day. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's funny how, like, I'm sure, you know, your your parents and, you know, roommates, girlfriend, whatever, they're all like, oh, yeah, you know, he does fantasy basketball, like, for fun, or, you know, he, he makes, like, $1,000 here or there. But then you go to them and you're like, I just want $100,000. And they're probably, you know, these people are probably wondering, like, you know, it's so hard for them to already understand, like, what it is you do with all this stuff to, like, come to them and be like, okay, yeah, this is real, like, I just won this much money from it. it must have been just I guess funny to see other people's reactions because they don't really like get it um, yeah it's like, hard to explain of course yeah for sure like my dad has always been he's not like anti-DFS or anything like that but he's always kind of just been like why don't you spend your, your time on something else why don't you just do something else instead of like gambling <laughs> I'm like okay yeah like whatever like I'm, I make a couple bucks here and there doing this and I enjoy it so I'm gonna keep doing it and then like the next day I'm on the phone with him and he's like we're just like kind of talking about like all right what am I gonna do with it how do I want to like make sure I manage it properly and he's like yeah you should probably set aside a couple bucks to feed your gambling addiction I was like I'm glad that hasn't changed dad <laughs> he still sees it just like just random gambling just you know throwing darts at a wall and hoping one hits the the jackpot that's funny. Yeah, like, yeah, like he he kind of understands that, like I'm not just like flipping a coin to make these decisions, but he still like gives me a hard time. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're just you're just gambling. I'm like, okay. 
Ah, the great part about being in Canada is that it is, it is considered it is considered a lottery here, so we don't pay taxes on it. But unfortunately for you, it, for you guys, it is a game of skill. So that's why a big chunk of that is probably gonna have to go toward taxes. Yeah, unfortunately. All right. Um, so for the sake of just kind of wrapping this all up, you know, what are you actually gonna do with all this all this money? Um. So. Being a college student, I, I have absurd student loans I'm going to have to pay back once I graduate. So, um, like you said, a good portion of that is going to end up going to taxes. Um, obviously, it depends on like how the rest of the year goes, how much of that I end up getting and how much I end up giving back next like April or where, whenever tax season is. Um, excuse me. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up taking probably like 80, 90% of my the winnings and paying back student loans and stuff like that. So like, it's nothing, it's nothing exciting there, but, um, just like relieving myself of a huge, um, stressor on my life for probably the, what would have been like the next 30 years is going to be something that's pretty awesome to do because of DFS. And then like, just like things like get a new laptop maybe, or like go and visit my friend who lives across the country in California, lives in LA, like maybe just a cool trip or two like that for myself and my girlfriend. But, other than that, like, I'm not going to be out here, like, buying a new car or any any huge investment like that. No, I mean, paying off your student loans is, is huge in and of itself. Just to not have to, to worry about that for literally the rest of your life is, like, honestly, that's enough in and of itself versus, like, a new car or whatever else you could have done with this. Like, no, like, that's, you know, that changes your life more than I would say, you know, any material thing could in a way. Yeah, for sure. All right, so before we head out, actually, I didn't tell you this. This was weird. Um, the night before, or I guess the night that you won, I didn't see the screenshot you post on Twitter. Um, so I'm like asleep and I don't usually dream about DFS. Like I have dreams like everybody else. Um, but for whatever reason that night, I had this weird dream about like DFS and winning this like obscene amount of money. But I think in my dream, um, it did not end well. It was like, I was like first place in the GPP with like not much time left. And then I just dropped. So, but it was weird because the next day I woke up and I'm going through Instagram and I see you posted the screenshot there. And that was when I was like, holy shit, like, you know, my man won himself a hundred K. So that was a really weird coincidence. Cause I'm not usually like, you know, actively thinking about DFS while I sleep. So it was, it was definitely odd. <laughs> that, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that becomes reality for me, but well, not the part about falling down at the bottom. I remember that was, that was a very sad feeling. It was like, I was winning like, again, like a hundred thousand or some obscene amount. And I ended up with like $300 because you know, some chalk, I don't know. I don't even know. It was weird. Um, but before we head out, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are pretty new or, you know, relatively new DFS players. So for those people, uh, I guess coming into the end of basketball season, heading into baseball season, what are some tips that you would give them? Um, for me, just kind of in general, when, when I noticed that like I really started to <clears throat> improve in my DFS play was when I really started to value numbers a lot more over narrative. Like Obviously, anybody can build a narrative to fit any play that they want in the world. Like If Bryce Harper plays good on Tuesdays in the daytime, you can build a narrative to fit that, but but you really have to look at the context of what you're doing and try to find numbers to back it up. Well, well, 
yeah, you might be able to find numbers saying that he plays better on Tuesdays. It, do you think there's really a logical importance to that? They're just kind of reason like that. So if I had to like kind of rank the different type of content that you can consume, because obviously, like as a new DFS player, you're going to want to learn from somewhere. So uh, if you're not able to do like the entirety of the research by yourself, you don't know where to start, and you're looking for a good source or a good place to learn from, I would start with first I value projections, just numbers, knowing that there's probably a relative lack of bias in those projections. Obviously, you can go on Google and see any countless number of articles about how there's inherent bias in artificial intelligence and projections and whatnot, but the just straight numbers are going to do the best job at, at taking out that narrative where you know that the person who's writing this isn't a Mets fan, so that's why he's writing up like the Mets center fielder today or something like that. And then second, I would look at like articles with significant data and like projections incorporated into them so if you're looking at just an article where it's just like yeah i like this guy a lot today he's got a good matchup with his pitcher he's like in a hitter's ballpark and uh the wind should be blowing out that it's a good matchup for him in general well sure you told me all the stuff that i could like just find anywhere like on google or something yeah sure i know jason vargas is a terrible pitcher by looking up his his era uh on google but there's no meaningful data there. So if I would value something with significant data giving you, hey, this guy, his lefty-righty splits look like this, or um, his strikeout percentage is this against right-handers and this against left-handers. So when he's facing a right-hander today, that's why we're taking him, that type of thing. And then last, um, I put very little value in like articles driven by narrative. Like I said before, like if the guy you're – reading his article, if you know he's a Yankees fan and he's just stacking the Yankees, or you know he's a Mets fan and so he's stacking the Mets, stuff like that holds little value. Um, it's not a coincidence that the best DFS players are all like quantitative players. They all have like their advanced algorithms that, like, yeah, at that, at that point, it's like, all right, that's, that's not really your lineup. That's a computer's lineup. That's your computer's lineup, so I guess it's yours. Um, that's like how you may view it, but they're good and they went at it for a reason. It's because they're numbers driven players. And then like the last thing that I'll say is like learn to look for what's a meaningful statistic and what isn't like look for context in statistics. So an example that's like coming up, the bulls play the Sixers and the bulls play the Knicks in like the next two weeks. Um, and so like, if you're looking at that, you have to know the context of the, the matchup. They play the Sixers. The Sixers are now fighting for seating in the East, whereas they played them the first game of the season and that kind of urgency probably wasn't there on the first game of the season. And then they're playing the Knicks, who are now fighting not for a playoff spot, but for Zion Williamson. So that's something that they have kind of an incentive to do now that they didn't earlier in the season. So say you're looking at, all right, how did the, Buc or how did the Bulls do against the Sixers earlier in the year, and how did the Bulls do against the Knicks? It's basically not the same thing. The Bulls aren't coached by Fred Hoiberg anymore. They've got a different coach. They run a new style. And then also the Bulls have made trades that have changed their team. In their first games against those two teams, Jabari Parker was playing significant minutes. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. was playing significant minutes. And then they also didn't have Laurie Markkinen playing, and they acquired Otto Porter. So like, if you look at that context that I just gave you, it's easy to see the Bulls aren't the same team that they were in Game 1 or Game 7 that they are here in Game whatever number we're at, like 60 and 63. So really look into your numbers if... If you just want to know, does Joel Embiid dominate the Bulls? All right, that's going to give you that's going to give you some information, but it's not going to give you the full context of 
Now he's facing Robin Lopez and not Wendell Carter Jr. So while he may have dominated the Bulls that time, he may not do it this time. So really dig deep into your statistics when you're when you're looking to make your final decisions and lean one player over another. Just make sure that you've done your due diligence. Don't it, it's it's going to be a terrible feeling when you leave one stone left unturned, and that's the thing that keeps you from cashing in a GPP versus min or like big cash in a GPP or a min cash. That's something that you don't want to look back on and say, "Man, I really wish I would have just like thought about the fact that Robin Lopez is now playing <clears throat> 25 minutes a game where he was playing 17 minutes a game earlier." Yeah, um, I'll just echo how stupid of narratives are. It's funny to me at this point. Like, if I think a guy's in a good spot and it just happens to be a narrative, I'll kind of, like, jokingly bring it up. Like, um, but I don't... That's not something I chase anymore. And uh, I think earlier this season, it was, like... It was something like that, that um, uh, Nick... You guys who've listened to it know who Nick is. Uh, sweet, sweet Nick. Brought up the fact that, like, Damian Lillard plays really well when, like, his grandmother is watching or something. And I'm like man, like, I can't, like, you're better than this. You're so much better than this. And, you know, of course, he ended up going out there that night and, you know, chucking up, like, 25% from the field. So the old woman didn't do him any favors that night. But it's, again, it's things like that. They're just funny. And, you know, I think to a certain extent you can compile them. Like, if Jacob, for example, Jacob deGrom is really good in day games at home. You know, if he's playing the Red Sox, you're not just going to plug and play him. But if he's playing a team that's, you know, like the Marlins, you're going to kind of look more closely at it and be like, okay, well, here's also why he might be a good play. But yeah, guys, don't don't chase narratives. Um, It's they're funny. They're funny to talk about and stuff. But uh, there's literally zero merit or, you know, there's no numbers to back up that players play better against their old teams or any of this. So uh, it's fun to talk about, but don't factor that into your final lineup build, please, dear God. Yeah, like there there are some in instances where a narrative can be can be a little bit fun to play. Like <clears throat> Russell Westbrook in his first game back against like facing KD for the first time. Like that was something where I I can understand why you would think that that's a real narrative. Like they genuinely seem. All right, I'm not gonna say they genuinely seem to hate each other, but they were taking subtle shots at each other for months. So yes, Russell Westbrook is a very emotional player, and he's probably gonna if it's possible for him to be any more amped than he already is, he's probably going to get up for that game. So like in the ex- most extreme cases, I can consider it anything less than that. It's, it's kind of a moot point to me. For sure. All right. Does that seem like a good place to, uh, to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think, I think we touched on like everything that um, all the like primary questions, a lot of questions got sent after <clears throat> a bunch of random people stumbled across my Twitter account. Um, that like consolidates almost all of them into into like five or six pretty short and poignant uh, points, I believe. All right. Well, glad I was able to make the return to answer your guys' questions and as well to talk about such a uh, such a life changing event for for somebody in the DFS community who honestly has has it's been a long time coming for you, man. You've been grinding these kind of smaller sports and stuff, and you were doing CFL with me in World Cup in the summer, and it's good to. Good to see that. Uh, good to see that happen to you. So, congratulations again. Thank you guys very much for listening. If you have any other questions, our Twitters will be in the description of this podcast, wherever you may be listening to it. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever. Um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care. Later.